1: discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations.
0: On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. I will say, this is going to be one of the deepest but also lightest episodes because today we are interviewing one of my nearest and dearest and bestest Friends, Christy Tate, and that's just who we are—thinking, deep, feeling, silly human beings. Is that right? You think that's right? A hundred percent.
2: That's very well said.
0: Okay, but she also is a real professional author, so I'm going to have to read you her bio. (laughs) Christy Tate is a Chicago-based writer and essayist. She has been published in the New York Times, Modern Love, The Rumpus, The Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, McSweeney's, Internet Tendency. Eastern Iowa Review, and elsewhere. Kiese Lehman selected her essay, Promised Lands, as the winner of the New Ohio Review's 2019 Nonfiction Contest. Her debut memoir, Group, is what we'll be talking about mostly today. Hi, Christy.
2: Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. I really love, love, love your podcast, and I'm so happy to talk to you.
0: I love it. Tell us a little bit about Group.
2: I found myself in a position in 2001, the summer after I'd finished my first year of law school, and I had done really well, and I was pretty sure that I should feel better than I did, that I should Mm be buying fancy things and being ready for my baller career, but I really was very depressed. I sunk deep, deep into a depression. I was fantasizing about my own death because deep down inside, I knew I could apply my intelligence and my willpower and my discipline to anything to achieve results like in law school. But my personal life was in shambles and I didn't know how to have relationships, friendships, boyfriends, forget it. I I didn't know how to be close to people and I knew I couldn't fix it. I didn't think I was fixable. I thought, well, All I'm ever going to have is work and billable hours. And yeah, I'll be a lawyer, but that's it. I'm going to go home alone every night. And that, that depression sort of was seeping out and people were like, you should do something about that. And a friend of mine recommended her therapist and I was like, I can't afford it. I'm a law student, (laughs) but she said, oh, he does group and it's cheap. And I was like, okay, I'll call him. (laughs) And I called him and he was super strange. But again, super cheap. And I thought, well, I'll do this group thing. He said he would only do group. And I thought, well, I don't want strangers in my therapy, but I'll just do this until I can afford like real therapy with a (laughs) one-on-one therapist. And the book basically chronicles how group changed my life. And I was able to eventually achieve the relationships that I wanted, but it took a lot longer than I thought. And... (laughs) Early in the process, Dr. Rosen, the therapist, promised me he could get me where I wanted to go. I just had to do two things. One was join a group and the other was to tell the group everything about my life and disclose all my secrets and fears and fantasies and goings on. And I thought, that's crazy, but I'll try it.
0: What a great pitch.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy that that's my life and that's what happened. And now it's a book
0: and people want to talk to you about it.
2: Yeah, it's it's really it's very you know, memoir writers' probably they warned me or I should have thought this through a little more but now that I'm on the road with the book I'm sort of I mean virtually obviously but I'm a little bit like oh that's so weird like everyone knows about my sex life <laughs> like I didn't you know you're writing a book you don't know you don't know what's going to happen and you don't think well somebody in Seattle may ask me about this terrible relationship I had and I'm happy to talk about it but when I think about talking about it it gets a little weird
1: yeah, yeah. That's- you definitely get personal so,
2: <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Though.
1: that's okay. He, do you want to ask about vulnerability and intimacy? This was something that really struck out to me when I was reading it. I mean, there's a moment in one of your relationships um, where early on, on a second date, you admit uh, that you see a therapist and you even reveal to your date that you go to group therapy, in fact. And your date then reveals something personal about his parents and their marriage. And it ends up being a moment of connection. Where, as you write, he meets you out on the limb. And you write, I recognize the familiar feeling of warmth and safety that settled after the rush of emotional risk. My turn, your turn, back and forth. So this is how it happened. This is how you built an intimate relationship. Word by word, story by story, revelation by revelation, just like group. It's so funny because when I was reading it, before you you wrote the line, just like group, I'm like, yes, like you have in your group. Yeah. And then you wrote, just like group. So I was right there with you. Um, and Corinne and I have been having a lot of discussions ourselves lately outside the pod about vulnerability and its ties to intimacy. And you know similarly, in the book, you talk a lot about secrets and how holding secrets is a way to hold shame. So my question is, like, do you think you can be a person who has secrets, who doesn't really want to burden others with their feelings or problems, but also be vulnerable and intimate? I mean, it seems like the premise of group shows that the way through is to be open and exposed and to share so the other person can share back and hopefully relate. It's like it's counterintuitive, right, Christy? Like,
2: totally, totally. I think, right, you use the word that I love, Kate. You said burden, right? So, Mm -hmm. one of the big secrets I had when I started group was the way that I ate. And I was in recovery in a 12 step program for my eating disorder, but I had a ton of secret eating that was essentially binging at night. I would eat somewhat normally during the day, it was a little bizarre. But then at night, I would go home, I would be by myself, I was depressed and lonely. And I would eat anywhere from six to 12 red apples, just binge quickly, it would like always feel disgusting, like painful, because I ate so fast, I'm probably not, I wasn't even really chewing, right? So this was a huge secret. And could I be close to people if I told them that? I believe I could be closer, but I think for me, my secrets were such big fundamental stumbling blocks like the way that I eat is something that I guard. It's why I lived alone. It's why I I didn't really, I wasn't comfortable dating because I was so scared to eat things out in the world with strangers or intimates, like I didn't really have intimates. so. I think it's probably a continuum, right? Like I didn't have to tell the whole wide world about my apples, yeah. but telling mm-hmm. my group began to loosen me up and I was able to let go of so much shame that was just holding me back. Now, subsequently, I've written it in a book and it's published, you know, <laughs> but the secrets that I have today and I still, I mean, they're not really secrets because there are things that my group knows, my husband knows that aren't appearing in any book and I am not talking about them. And maybe someday I will. But I think that finding a witness and finding mm-hmm. places to place burdens is mm-hmm. a way of, of forming trust and forming intimacy. And also every time... I've been lucky. But when I've turned things over to my group and to my therapist, they have not treated me like a burden. It's a burden for me Mm -hmm. because I'm carrying it alone. But when I allow someone to help me, what I'm saying is, you can be close to me in my mess, and in my Mm -hmm. sorrow or grief or anger. And to other people, that is not a burden. If I were to share with someone who couldn't hold it, I've I've picked the wrong witness, essentially. Yeah.
1: I love the finding a witness. Yeah, I love that line.
2: I mean, I definitely wanted a cure. I was holding out hope for a pill or a, a potion or like a, a foolproof. I didn't know it was just keep showing up and do the work here in the group and wait, participate in your life changing by coming to group and doing the work.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. I love. And by the way, that is true for everything good in life, right? Like that's how it you know, there's no pill, there's no express train, there's no yeah. like this is how we do it and get there. You just have to kind of put in the work and show up every day. And like
1: you said, a couple of times in the book, it's also not linear. Like you wanted yeah. like a graph where the line was always going up. Totally. And of course it, it goes up and down. And, and I, I, that really spoke to me too. I mean, even though you were there doing the work, it was, it's, it doesn't always just go straight yeah. up like that.
2: I really wish that people in recovery or any kind of self-discovery made more space in those narratives for the, the back steps. I think, At his most radical, Dr. Rosen doesn't believe in backward step. Like if I went tomorrow and said, I smoked a bunch of crack and I ate 50 apples, he would be like, wonderful. Like you're here talking about this is just your next step, your next chapter. But there's so much ego that gets wrapped up in forward momentum It becomes a source of shame, right? If I don't Mm. act in accordance with my vision or what I think I should be doing at this stage in my recovery, it becomes something to hide or to be ashamed of. And I just think we can do better with our narratives around that.
0: We talked about it when Dax talked about his recent step. You accumulate days and that's a great thing because it shows you're doing something. You're showing up every day basically is what it's saying. Mm -hmm. But it also then to be taken down days, you're like, wait, what? What happened? You know, I lost all of that. And it's not forward and then back. It's really just, I love what you're saying. It's the next step. Okay, now we're here. What are you going to do?
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's sort of, I once, once I was, I was Googling Dr. Rosen and I was just, you know, cyber stalking my therapist, like you do. Uh. And I found some, it was either a video or an article. And I since haven't been able to go back and find it, but he gave a speech or something and he was saying, I believe saying the addict in recovery will relapse a thousand times a day. And I was like, Mm what's that hopeful message? What are you talking about? <laughs> and he was like, the question is, is your recovery strong enough to to get back to it, to get back to the right behavior or the good orderly direction or however the addict in question thinks about right living? Right. And I just... There's at first I hated that. And then and I went, I remember going to group and asking him about it. I was like, that's horrible. Why are you telling people that? And he was like, because it's true. Yeah. And if we made more room for relapse as part of recovery, everybody's recovery, then yeah. we wouldn't all be so rigid. You know, right. there's a lot yeah. of rigid thinking in these well and everything but yes, this, it doesn't yeah. <laughs> it doesn't serve people to be so rigid
0: in these brains I'm pointing to my own head <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> mine too I rigid it is.
0: so this book group is narratively speaking about the the desire to find love a romantic partner it's also about connection and intimacy and and a lot of bigger things but The through line is about romantic love. Yes. And you wrote something beautiful on page six. That was how I always imagined the surface of my heart. Smooth, slick, unattached, nothing to grab onto, unscored. I suspect the metaphor went deeper still, that I was afraid of marring my heart with the scoring that arose naturally between people, the inevitable bumping against the other people's desires. Scoring was required for attachment, and my heart lacked the grooves. Some people might reject that. You were the top of your law school class, set up with a big law job. You had people you could turn to. You had a healthy body, a supportive but not overbearing family and yet you, you still needed to find love. And I wanted to talk about that because I find that extremely relatable, but there are people who would reduce it and say that journey for a woman is not as important and that shouldn't be something that we talk about. Have you have you gotten that? Do you feel that way? Obviously, this is so much more than a love story, so I hate to have it be reduced yeah. to that, but...
2: Well, I remember, yes, and I I myself am... And, am conflicted about it because on the one hand you know it is so much bigger than that but also the the culminating event in this book is a wedding that's about as traditional as you can get but and early on I had a reader who read maybe she just read like the first 20 pages and she was like why were you so worried about this like why do you care You had a law. you, you know, she was the generation above me. And so she had regrets about not getting to go do the professional life she wanted. So she was like, and she, she was able to form a partnership with her husband in high school and they're still married. So I'm like, I realized I needed to write to the person who wants to know who cares. But the fact of the matter is I felt like I shouldn't care that I don't have a boyfriend. I shouldn't care that all my friends are coupling up with these guys that aren't perfect, but they're good fits. Meanwhile, I'm dating drug dealers and alcoholics and men with no money. And there's nothing wrong with not having money, but they would come over to my house. I had My boyfriend right, in college, yours. <laughs> yeah, exactly. he came over to my house and he was like, can I borrow your credit card? Your tech- I had a Texaco credit card. <laughs> he was like, can I-, can I borrow your credit card? We're going on a road trip and I can't afford gas and here's the kicker I gave him my credit card and was like godspeed yeah and so what I know to be true is that being able to be a person who can form an intimate relationship sexual relationship in my case it happens to be heterosexual but that my inability to do that drove me to suicidal ideation and I'm not alone and I have to just reconcile what helped me a lot was thinking about Roxanne Gay's book, Bad Feminist, Mm -hmm. when she talks about all the ways she's a bad feminist. And I was reading that early on in my drafting process and I was like, you know what? A feminist can want a husband. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't want, I didn't need him to pay for anything, Right. but I wanted, I wanted to not come home alone and I wanted someone Mm. in my bed I wanted to learn how to have a sexual relationship and so there's a lot of ways that this does fall into a very traditional romantic quest that's absolutely in the DNA of the story and I have battled with that and I'm just like but it's actually what happened Mm. I'm infused I'm from the south I'm of the age where it was very 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 important to me for legitimate reasons and some of them were cultural toxicity but Mm. I had to deal with them. And so they they absolutely should reverberate in the book because it was what was happening to me.
0: You weren't saying I am nothing if I don't have a man like I might as well throw out my law degree and never, you know, have achieved the things I have achieved. It is more nuanced than that. And I people will reduce it to it, which I think is just unfair because it reminds me of something, Kate, that you talked about with Jessica Knoll and her And talk about eating and wellness and how we are told to love our bodies. But men aren't told to love their bodies, right? Men are just told, your body is your body. They're told nothing. They're essentially told to go conquer the world. And if you want a wife, a, a partner, or just arm candy, whatever it is that you want, it's fine because you can decide whatever it is. But women aren't yet granted that same level of equality. Somehow the counter-programming has taken over, that when we teach women that we're more than our reproductive parts, which is an important lesson, somehow we've made it shameful to want love and romance and partnership.
1: Well, I think when you read this, you see, like we said, it is about so much more than that, because in order for you to achieve that goal of being in an intimate relationship, in this case with a man, you have to deal with all of the messiness inside yourself, all of the things you've been denying, all, all of that in order to have ultimately, yes, have that ending, which is seemingly traditional, but it is completely about the transformation within yourself and in your mindset and all of that. So I, if people do reduce it to that, I think they're clearly missing the, the bigger.
2: Well, I also, I picked law. Because I was in a bad relationship that was – I was broken up about it, crying all day at work. It was one of those. And I also knew there's going to be another guy just like that. And then after that, it'll be another guy just like that because I just knew something was wrong with the way that I picked people and valued myself. And I picked law because I knew it would keep me busy And I was hoping it would make up for it would be my consolation prize because my personal life romantically, but also like I wasn't a person who jetted off for girls trips like I couldn't do that. That was so just it wasn't even like it was scary. I just batted it away before the invitations really got close. I think I put out the vibe of like, I'm good. I don't need people. So there was something bogus in my my all my academic achievements. It was not genuine love of the law. It was like, save, save me, mm-hmm. hiding. I'm drowning, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. hide. Yeah, exactly.
1: Oh, that resonates. We can relate to yeah. that.
2: <laughs> I don't know, girls. What do you think? I mean, the three Jeez. overachieving
1: lawyers on the phone Crick are us in the looking yes. why it is we – um put so much effort into achieving.
2: Yeah.
0: I don't want to be a downer, but I wanna talk about these things. And one of them is when writing memoir, I hear a lot of Interviewers call the author brave. Glennon Doyle's Untamed, Stephanie Danler's Stray, of course, for you. I don't know why, maybe I don't, if it's because I'm a fiction writer, but I find it slightly condescending. There's something beneath that real question like, what are you saying? But at the same time, there's something extremely brave about writing your pure truth of the story, this moment in your life, and really kind of laying it all out there. So, have you been called brave? How do you feel about it?
2: Oh my gosh, this is such a good question. I feel like this is a very important question when we think about women creators. Mm-hmm. And I know men men can grapple with it on their own and that's a different <laughs> podcast, right? Yes. When I think about brave when it's like put to women, like you're so brave, I always think that underneath that is a the subtext to me that I can hear echoing in that comment is Don't you know that women are supposed to tell one kind of story Mm. or there's a narrow range of stories that we want women to tell? women of a certain age, women with certain set of problems. If you veer from that, if you write about your body, if you write about being queer, if you write about the things that your body does when it doesn't obey, like I'm thinking of Samantha Irby's essays, then you immediately get into this lane where like brave to me feels like a well-packaged, polite way to say, are you 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 know you left the script, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. you know you grossed us out, right? And for me it has a particular resonance just because maybe because I grew up in the South and the notion of telling, telling stories, talking about what's actually happening that that was very frowned upon it's right. not polite it's yeah. it could lead to like adverse social consequences for a woman when i think about this brave thing like i think about an interview i heard with phoebe waller bridge and she was talking about that notion of brave and you know we have books and stories and comedians who talk all about male desire and male masturbation it's like why can't a woman do it like does mm-hmm. do people we know we know that People do not say to Louis C.K. before his disgrace, You're so brave to talk about your masturbation. (laughs) You know, like, Mm -hmm. it's not. We expect (laughs) that. So i've come full circle on brave at first i was like it scared me because when i I would hear it people would be like it felt like a little like ooh, you broke a taboo and that was scary and then i was like defiant against it like brave i shouldn't this shouldn't be brave this should be how stories work how people in society share who they are and what they are and now i've come full circle to hearing the affirmation in it like Mm -hmm. it is especially now how one look at twitter and you see how people treat women yeah. who create who have thoughts who put themselves out there it's mm-hmm. not great for men either but i the things that i've seen people write to chelsea clinton or right. roxanne gay it's savage so mm-hmm. it is brave it is brave okay. and i'll take that as an affirmation and it's not me who needs to change society yeah. you know mm-hmm.
0: And you're leading the way for us. right.
2: (laughs) You know, I just try to do my part with my stories. (laughs) (laughs) That's
0: Oh, that was a great answer. I love where you've come to with that. Well,
2: it depends on who says it. I had a conversation with a 21-year-old woman who'd read the book and her calling me brave felt very different to me. It felt like, It felt more like a thank you, like I'm grateful you were brave. You gave me something about myself, about your, you shared with me in a way that fortified me or enlightened me or gave me some kind of gift. You're so brave to talk about how your food is messed up. And I just, I think everybody has, I mean, not everybody binges on hundreds of dollars of apples a month, but everybody's got food stuff everybody has sex stuff. I just believe that in my bones. And so there's something about the comment that makes me think that's something to say. Another thing to say is I relate. I, what I used to do with food or what I do with food, that's another way to approach it, but I'll take the brave.
0: You, on one of our conversations, came up with the brilliant idea that when you were going to come on the podcast that we would talk about our own ideal group if we were going to put together a group for ourselves, who would we want to show up in that room, which I just loved. and Kate' such was a good mad. idea I was, was like all day long, long in. Guys.
2: this is so, I, <sighs> I love dreaming up the dream group. it's so it's so fun.
0: First of all, I had like forty <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm like, uh, this group for when I'm feeling good, this group from when I'm yeah. feeling bad, Totally whatever. I, I had so many It was very hard to pick.
2: I spent a lot of time thinking about like celebrities I want in my group or politicians, except they're all out now. I do not want to be near them. But then this morning when I was out thinking about coming to talk to you, I was like, I made my ultimate pop fiction. So fictional,
1: Ooh, right. fictional
2: women who would be Unbelievable to be in group with.
1: I love it. Love it. Bring it on. Outdoing us already. Like (laughs) I love it. Like bringing our theme to us.
2: Yes. Producer Um, credit. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, my first one. I want in my group. I want Fleabag. (laughs) Oh my god, God. this is good. So then I also want. I want Joan from Mad Men. Mm. I feel like I could learn a lot from her. I want Olivia Pope from oh, scandal of course. it's really fun to have a mix of people like you've got a fleabag who's like finding her way in the world mm-hmm. and hasn't landed and then you got an olivia pope who's like i have arrived i am i a will supreme. take care of
0: you i will, yes, yes. Totally. I will tell a you mixer.
2: what to do yes. and it would be really fun to have an olivia pope like to watch her spar with dr rosen because sometimes oh he crumbles With super strong women, I don't happen to be, like, such a baller in group. I'm usually more, I play more the role of, like, I'm a mess, help me. But it's fun when those strong women get up in there. Mm -hmm. So I chose also Mary Crawley from Downton Abbey because it's fun mm -hmm. to have bitches. Like, it's fun to have, (laughs) she's a good mix of, like, I do disastrous things and I'm out for myself and I'm cold. But there really is heat under there. Those kind of women trigger me to no end. <laughs> and it, it's fun to be triggered in group because you can just kind of go after yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and then I picked this is from a book, Edie from the new novel Luster. She's oh. kind of like a good counterpart to kind of like a flea bag, except she's more effervescent and mm. has more and and also speaks a lot about her class and mm. her poverty. I've been in groups before where there were people who were getting evicted or having severe financial problems and then another person had just won a lawsuit for millions of dollars so like that creates a lot of conflict and locating myself in those different class arrangements and then i also thought it would be very tender to have aquafina from <laughs> I love the one where she goes home inheritance anyway people who come in who are Tender. It's it's interesting. This is an oversimplification, but the people who come in like guns ablazing, they're ballers. They'll fight with anybody. Those people tend to become more tender and quiet and soulful. And the people who come in tender and seeping and wounded, they get built up you know, a couple of years will go by, and all of a sudden they've picked a fight with you like super aggressively, and you're like, Wait. I thought you were a seeping mess, you know, yeah, right. So oh, that's my that's my pop fiction group. I want to hear what you guys think. That was
1: amazing.
2: And that was so good. That
0: was so
1: good. I've, and it's so too much pressure now. I just <laughs> I feel as if all my choices stink. No,
2: no they're all good. I'm sure. Let's hear them. <laughs> no,
1: it really just shows the nuance though of group and that I know. we clearly like, have. You no, get it.
0: Yeah, you get it. You get. You, you get need to dynamic. make our group.
1: I was thinking more from. Ha- picking people who I thought could help me. Mm. Um, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I have what I call my perfectionists, oh. which are people like me. Yeah. Like, And those two are Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Garner. Okay. Oh, oh. Because okay, cause to me, those are people who appear to be like goody two shoes and like rule followers, but we know they must have a messy side. They've both been married to like high profile men gone yeah. through like big divorces. And so like, I feel like I could relate to them, but they're going to help me deal with like the messier side, even though they look like our perfectionists. Can um, I just tell
0: you, every time yeah. I look at Ben Affleck, I just think Jennifer Garner, like, yeah.
1: That's right. <laughs> what were you? What were you doing? Like uh, me too. And so there's something was, there. Like what was, gonna was fix that him. about? She did. She did. So those are my perfectionists. I have my woo woo like vulnerability people because I I figure you need. So I know there's Dr. Rosen, but I feel like I need people who can help me get in touch with that side. So I've got Brene Brown yes. because I need. She needs to. I, I can only listen to her on youtube so much i need her in real life okay i need her to explain vulnerability to me for the 100th time so after maybe- you say every word yes exactly glennon doyle yeah. and abby Wombach. because i can't i really like abby more than i like glennon sorry oh, yes. so i need glennon because you know she's gonna again she's gonna give us our woo-woo piece but i really abby speaks to me because she is like you know again she's like the one that's like a little more structured a little more rigid but also the the athlete see that whole the athletic part of yeah, someone's the gonna mentality help me, yeah the mentality yeah. i i think she could help me totally then i have my singer songwriters because <laughs> this is this is aka the people who managed to turn their mess into creative things in this case music that's something that speaks to me i can't do music but if i have to process something i try to write it so i've got taylor swift for that because oh, who processes a mess better and turns it into something creative and this is my only man sam hunt because that's my country music man <laughs> Um, but I'm telling you, he is like the male Taylor Swift. I will fight anyone on this. He wrote an entire album about his breakup, Montevallo people listen to it. And then my last one is the badass, like AKA most likely to tell you to fuck off during group or just to get a hold of yourself. And that's Phoebe Waller-Bridge. So you had, you had her as three bag, but it was like your max. Like you need someone who's just like. Just, just deal with yourself, you know, yeah. that yes. someone's going to need to tell me to just like shut up sometime.
2: You know, that's <laughs> so. so interesting because I think why Max is so powerful to me, Still to this day is because my only mode my my primary mode of interacting with a man is to try to fix him or save him. Like mm. I would have married Ben Affleck fifty times over me, because yeah, you or, or Robert Downey Jr. or Charlie Sheen that was the lane I was in, and Max was just like made it very clear he didn't need fixing, and I didn't know what to do with him like. Mm there's no, it's not that he wasn't vulnerable, but he wasn't falling apart or alcoholic. And he came right at me in this very strong way and was demanding of me to be strong. And even I made a list of a co-ed celebrities, all the men on there, I want to save. I want to save them. (laughs) Michael Jordan, I want Michael Jordan of today. And I just want to be like, Michael. Yes. Yes relax. What can we do? What can we do about your life? (laughs) And David Letterman and Howard Stern. I just want Adam Driver. I feel like, you know, you're a little bit sad. Like you're, you a little bit this anyway. So not to hijack this, but I think it's so funny that you picked men in a in a much better, way. I mean, Sam yes. Hunt is a better reason to pick a man than yeah. like
1: <laughs> he's also easy game? on the eyes, right? I mean, I don't have the savior complex, though. I do not have that. So, yeah, although he's he's a little lost right now too. That's the thing. Oh. Mean, well, he had a DWI, and then, oh. so now you're getting so in my is, lane. <laughs> yeah, so he is a little messy right now too. So, well, All that, right, Corinne, hit us up. That yeah. was great.
0: I love how Kate even had like this is where you're going to be sitting. <laughs> We're going to be grouped together. Don't just you think you can come in here all, all willy nilly with your group shit,
2: okay? That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Mine God. are
0: all essentially the same person. <laughs> 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 kind of, that's how I think of them, though I'm not sure it will be so obvious. Mine were Gillian Flynn, duh. Yeah. Yeah. Chrissy Teigen.
1: Oh, <gasps> it's a good one. Yeah, Celeste
0: King, <gasps> Liz Feldman, Bill oh. Simmons. And Lynn Manuel Miranda. Oh, oh yes. Oh my god. Who knew?
1: But that's a great pick. Yeah, oh well, oh. mine are
0: all they're 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 kind of funny, but also really deeply feeling people. Chrissy Teigen. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one for her you. Recent one. Yeah. Oh, with yeah. her recent loss. It's just devastating. But she's so out there with it. And yeah.
1: she's so yeah. like, I feel so deeply, obviously, she would, but. She's so knew you, her, and Liz Feldman yeah. on that topic would be wow. Yeah, and they're they're also a little jaded,
0: but also full of hope. Like their experience yeah. kind of made them a little bit tough, but they're also kind of full of hope. Smart business sense, all of them have like yes. a really good sense of who they are too. So mm-hmm. there are, there's a lot of similarities in there, and I guess I just want them, they're all ahead of me in their careers, so I just want them to drag me along.
2: <laughs> yeah, if you're going to go to dark places and like uncover, yeah. you, want, you want people who function as lights in the world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And especially Gillian Flynn and Celeste Ng, both of them, their writing can be very divisive. But to be divisive, you have to be really good at really arguing two sides of something because that's how you can present something that's so decisive. If you are purely on one side of it, and Celeste Ng has talked about this in early drafts of her book, Little Fires Everywhere, she was too one-sided and People were like, you're just telling me how to feel instead of presenting both sides really in a way that we can get on one or the other. So you have to really have a good overall view. This was a fun game. That was very Very
2: (laughs) funny. When I think about politics, even though I keep saying I'm not going to talk about it, I'm just like, if we could get some of these people in a group, they could sort of maybe work out some of those daddy issues, those mommy issues. Maybe we'd have some different outcomes on a national level. But anyway, that's all I'll (laughs) say about that. Yes.
0: Well, Kate, you brought up your uh, perfectionists that are going to help you. Yeah, yeah. I had just been reading Julia Cameron and she's talking about perfectionism. And she writes, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but these are all her words from the book. Perfectionism is not a quest for the best. It is a pursuit of the worst in ourselves. It is an obsessive, debilitating, closed system that causes you to get stuck in the details and to lose sight of the whole. (laughs) Yeah, right.
2: thanks Julia. Right. <laughs> oh god. Dad, oh my god. She's so bright. She's so Ugh. she's so right on about what a sneaky artist what what she knows where I'm hiding. She yeah, knows where I'm hiding.
0: And that's a tough one because it looks like you're trying to do the best and it looks like you're trying to do something that matters and really you're just obsessing about things that you can't control
1: and that's totally yeah, never- but we we talked about this and I won't remember on which one I think it might have been on something's got to give where i said the other problem with that is it's so rewarded in life and yeah. it's so praised like i'm sure your perfectionism and overachieverness in in school was lauded by people by parents by teachers like and they they mean well they're like that's so great. Get the gold star. Be first in your class. I mean, and it is laudable. I mean, it is, you have achieved something and you've worked hard for something, but it, often does mask other things and you're doing it to busy yourself and there is a dark side to it, but people go, Oh, it's so great. And you get rewarded for it. You don't get rewarded for being messy and being vulnerable.
2: Yes. That's very true.
1: Yeah.
0: Not in traditional settings. Well, one of the places where, where we embrace the mess is (laughs) astrology. And Christy, can I, can I tell everyone that you let me Run your birth chart, which was yes, awesome. please. I was like, oh my God, I'm so honored. She was like, yeah, sure, whatever.
2: <laughs> I'm like, oh my
0: Here's my date and time of birth. Have at it.
2: Yeah. yeah like, oh,
0: what? A, this is amazing. I was like beside myself. So I've known for a long time that Christy is a cancer. That's your sun sign. And by the way, she has single handedly healed all of the cancer oh. sun sign wounds that my mother has <laughs> inflicted in me. But your chart was full of lovely surprises.
2: Oh, like what? Tell me.
0: Well, your moon is in Aries, which is the moon is your inner life. And that makes sense why we would click so much. Me being an Aries sun and then you being the Aries moon. And you actually have more fire in your entire chart than I do. Oh, and I'm the that's sun. weird. Yes. Wow. You are also have, so c- cancer is a cardinal sign. And then you also have a six- total can't cardinal signs in your chart so that means you like to like get really excited about starting things you love to do things you're the one who's like let's go to everybody whereas kate is a fixed sign she's the one who's like okay let's sustain this now people
2: <laughs> yeah. okay mm-hmm. yeah that seems right
0: and then since this is once we are talking about group and the quest for love i wanted to read your compatibility do you
2: oh
0: okay, no. okay.
2: This is where I have to think if my husband is compatible with
0: me. (laughs) But It's cancer and Pisces.
2: Yeah, okay, yeah. This is an
0: affectionate, sensitive couple who will bolster each other's ego. I think that's that's good. good. Pisces is is an imaginative dreamer, but cancer is an imaginative worker. Together they make their dreams a reality. Pisces provides romance in Cancers life, and Cancer is the all-protective lover Pisces needs. Both are emotional, intensely devoted insensitive to each other's moods
2: oh wow it's a good one yeah that's so lovely like just this morning we were my alarm goes off at 5 30 and normally my husband's asleep and I'm like fumbling for the phone and he's like oh I've been waiting for you to wake up I'm like what are you doing why are you talking to me at 5 (laughs) 30 and we ended up talking for like 30 minutes just like checking in with each other, because like everybody, it's easy to not do that Mm -hmm. in normal times, much less in pandemic. It's hard to find just like a 30 minutes to say, go a little deeper. And we were both aware of what's on each other's plates and asking about feelings. And it was like, it was very sweet and very... It seems like very in line with what you just read. I mean, we're not always like that. I could also tell you about some fights we had like five minutes later. (laughs) But in that little cocoon, like everything's dark, everything's quiet. And it's before the day has just like started with a rush. And it was just like a lovely thing, which reminds me of what you just read.
0: Isn't it amazing how you have to still try to find time for that stuff in the pandemic? You'd think like we're together more than ever. Totally. But yeah. ew, it's hard.
2: Ugh. It's so easy to just pass each other. You just like, like my mm-hmm. husband normally travels in normal life and he hasn't gone anywhere, obviously. And we're just like all stapled together in the same house. And still three days could go by. And it's like, oh, how You're are you?
0: I know. I've been feeling it too. To astrology, it seems like it was kind of in the stars for you and your husband. Also for yeah. me and you. Yes. Which which reminds me, have we ever even talked about how we've met? Like, I don't know. Have you and I even talked about it?
2: I don't think we have. And then people ask me that all the time. My daughter says to me, because whenever I bring up your name, and I talk about you a lot, I always say, my friend Corinne. Like, I don't just say Corinne. Right, right. The other days, my daughter was like, why do you always say my friend Corinne? And I was like, (laughs) I don't do that with anybody else. And I have no idea why I do that. And it was making me just think. And I want to hear your version of how you think we met.
0: (laughs) Oh, we both had very little children, our second children, and we were nursing and managing a toddler and ignoring our increasingly unfulfilling legal careers. Yes,
2: that's all true. This
1: sounds perfect. (laughs) What?
2: When I remember it, I remember crossing the street in Chicago. Actually it was Chicago Avenue and I was leaving I was like working part time as a legal writing instructor and you just left the most lively personal connecting emails. I think we got into a debate about I I, I had written a blog post that was something like, Motherhood's not that hard. I mean, it's not like I'm a Chilean minor and I was basically saying, like, why am I bitching so much? And you were in a totally respectful way. In the old days you could Tussle yeah. with someone intellectually and emotionally on a blog and it wasn't, it didn't become a teardown. Yeah, you troll. were genuinely engaging with me. Yeah, totally. And you were like, uh, I think I really totally disagree with you. And you you the point I think you were making was it's totally unfair to say, to compare motherhood to Chilean mining. And also it's just so hard. Like you were kind of like saying don't do that to yourself and to mothers by making this absurd comparison, which is essentially erasing everything hard about what we're doing right Mm. now. And I was like, huh, you're Mm. totally right. (laughs) and then we just, I think we increasingly were writing more and more like letters to each yeah. other. <laughs> yeah. We were like yeah. online dating on our blogs. Totally. <laughs> and then one time, the first time I remember you like sending me an email that wasn't like through the blog comments, right. you were like out with friends and I think you'd been drinking maybe a little bit or like, or maybe it was just late at night or there was something where it was like, you were like, can you please tell me your sign? <laughs> and I was like, course, I'm, I'm up with my babies and I'm like, I'm a cancer. And the next day you were like, I'm sorry. That that must have been so weird. I was <laughs> out with friends, and you took it so well. And I was like, "That's cool. I can talk about." I mean, obviously, I'm pretty open, so we can definitely talk. Right. About sign, um, but, yeah. And- but
0: as Kate and I have talked about, most lawyers are not open to that question. They're like, they "I don't even know what you're talking about." <laughs> yes,
2: they That's think true. It. That is. I, I have not. En- I have not encountered that in my law life, but writers are so into this. Totally. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Like you were the bridge to that because I have since. Like I have a bunch of writing friends who live in portland and they like they have an astrologer that they go see as if it's like a dentist right and very, mm-hmm. like they wouldn't make a move yeah. if the move in the wrong place <laughs> and lawyer christie is, is like mm, okay maybe you yeah. like do what you need to do and but writer christie is more like that's fascinating like what does that mean to you and i feel like being open to it is much better. It's much more fun. You can yes. learn more.
0: Yes, yes, yeah. That sounds all like me. And also, knowing I had my daughter must have been like th- four or five months at that time. So I was like really in the throes of it. And I was like, "This is so hard." <laughs>
2: but it's yes, like um, oh, Chilean yes. mining
0: okay? I wish I could be a Chilean miner right now. <laughs> yes. But no, I. Just, it was. Sarah Lind, you were guest blogging on.
2: Yes, that's you're right. You're totally right. I guest blogged for her because she went out of town. But I
0: do remember, so your recollection is right for you. But I do remember being like, I need to be friends with this Christy Tate girl.
2: <laughs>
0: I was like, wow. I am I'm sure I, I actually remember. I think I commented on your blog once or twice and you didn't write back. I'm like, sorry, still going to keep trying. <laughs>
2: That is so funny. Oh my god. Well, I'm so glad you did. I was probably just too sleep deprived to understand where see, that's part of like being blocked. I can't couldn't even see invitations. And so it's oh, good that nice. stars wanted us to be together.
0: So that sheer randomness, because I didn't Sarah Lind, I didn't even know. I found her on WordPress. Yeah. Freshly pressed. Oh yeah. But, it makes me think of one of our favorite topics on this podcast which is fate versus free will and how those yeah. two things play together and oh and the surrender. But I do want to know, do you have stories of fateful moments on in your writing journey that feel like they were bigger than coincidence?
2: I totally do. I I totally do and I think about, for example, I wanted to write fiction, and so I had these novels, and they were terribly unreadable, <laughs> and I didn't know what to do with them, and I took a, I took a month off of all writing, because it just wasn't, I didn't know how to fix, I didn't know how to revise, which is a huge yeah. problem, obviously, and I, rem- I was just sitting, I took a break, and just, I was just going to read about how do you write a book, and I was reading like Robert McKee and the big guns, right? And I was just sitting in my office one day pretty much in despair. And I was like, maybe I should write a true story. And then instantly the vision, the the arc of group popped into my head. Like I could see it like the uh, beach. Sheet. Uh, I was like, wow. Oh my God. Like what if that's what I'm supposed to. So I, ha- I wrote it all down. Right. And I had the little graphic and I'm like, this is, this is what you do. Like you go up and down and there's pinch points and whatever. Right. And I thought, well, I didn't think I could write a memoir that would ever go anywhere because I'm nobody, and mm-hmm. this wasn't like Appalachian Trail or no, right. what was it, the Pacific Coast Trail, right. and right. I, it, there was I didn't think it was stunning enough. But what I was planning to do was I was going to write it as a practice memoir, and then I would just transfer that all to novel skills, and this was just going to be an exercise. Wow. But I kept whenever I showed it to people, they would say. I think this might be a real book. And I was like, Oh, but I'm, I'm just doing this as an exercise. And wow. then it became a thing. Right. Obviously. And I feel like that moment, I feel like it just plopped into my head. Like <sighs> the mm-hmm. I asked myself a question. Cause, because I stepped back and was like letting things sift in my brain. That feels like f- I did not will that. I had been trying to will it for two years on a novel and like right. something out of left field came and I that's That was the most stunning moment of my writing career. I mean, that to me, having the seed and seeing the project was as stunning. I mean, maybe I'm revising history. I probably am. But like, that's as stunning as getting a call that my agent sold my book. Because Mm -hmm. there's no book without the initial, without seeds, without fire, without those, there is no agent or book, right? Right, So when I think back to that, I really... I really treasure that, that I was quiet enough, that I believed it, that I heard it, like, I don't know what that was, but it was definitely a gift from the universe.
0: Oh, I love that. Wow. That's a good one.
2: And then I would say one other one that is this this, like, you know, when you look back and like, this makes no sense. Like, It just makes no sense other than it's hard to not look back and use words like it was meant to be but there was a woman in my writing group in my writing like larger writing community and she said to me two years ago now she was like when you get ready to get an agent you should reach out to this person right so writers have to get an agent in order to move forward into the publication world generally right Mm -hmm. so i knew this and she told me this woman's name and i was like okay and i something I wrote it down on a piece of paper a post-it note and I put a heart on it and I stuck it on my desk and because I was like I'll lose this where am I going to write this where do you put this you know and then I moved across town and I brought I taped up my my post-it notes As all lost their stickiness they're now like taped up I <laughs> have the same post-it note and then it was time to query I was like well when the book was ready and I was ready to get an agent I was like well I'm going to write to this woman I'm going to tell her I've got her name I've had it on my desk for two years just cause like, that's a funny story. Yeah, and, exactly. Ends up. That woman is my agent today. And exactly. I like just yeah. the hand of the universe of God, of whatever the muses that my friend Tanya told me about her. I kept that inside of me and on my desk, not inside of me on my yeah. desk. Yeah. And then I told her the truth about it. And then it's like, that's, that's a crazy story. Like that's, Yeah. That's strange. There's some strange things that I can't you in that story. Right. No. Right. Yeah. That's wow. Yeah. It reminds me, and Corinne, maybe you'll see this and you'll see it too, Kate, when you get into the artist's way, but like Julia Cameron talks about when you sort of commit to the artistic process, although I'm sure it works in spiritual or other processes, but when you commit, there's these moments of synchronicity. Mm -hmm. If you're sort of attuned and you're paying attention and you're seeking, things line up in ways that you're like okay my friend tanya is going to tell me this because she knew a book and da 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 and i listened and grabbed the thread that sort of synchronicity is such a it's it's the best part i think of being alive i love it so much yes yeah.
0: oh those are the moments we all live for right those yeah. got to pay attention yeah. for yeah. <laughs> you've already had quite a few generous recommendations. We've talked about The Artist's Way. We've talked about a lot of different books. You talked about a bunch of characters and their creators that we love. But what are you loving right now? Complicated creative women, books, TV, movies, music, anything's on the table.
2: Right now, I am tearing through a book. It's called my autobiography of Carson McCullers it is so wonderful it's such an incredible historical exploration of Carson McCullers whose books by the way I read one a million years ago and can't remember anything about it so it doesn't matter but what she's looking at how our how our culture Jen Shapland that's her name anyway she's just looking at how our culture treats lesbian relationships and Mm. This way, and historically, if there was no like very definitive proof that two women slept with each other, history has been hesitant to say this woman is a lesbian or had a lesbian relationship. We're really scared oh, of that. Yeah. And I read this book right on the heels of I reread Carmen Maria Machado's in the in Dream the House. Dreamhouse. Uh-huh. which is also an stunning exploration of same-sex relationships in this case lesbian a lesbian relationship that was extremely abusive and she's a genius but reading those two back to back is incredibly illuminating mm-hmm. and just thinking about the ways in which there like this notion we've heard this a lot since the black lives matter really got that really turned up the volume and wider culture about representation and who gets represented and why that matters. It's like, this is a whole, this, this is like proof that representation like Carmen Machado, it was in an abusive lesbian relationship and she half had the idea. That's not even a thing because she'd never seen it. People don't talk about it. They don't write about it. And then here Mm -hmm. comes this autobiography of Carson McCullers who looks quite likely that she was a lesbian but that's been shrouded and hidden behind acceptable narratives it's yeah. just like if this could all break open it feels like nuclear it feels yeah. nuclear in what it could do to society and to to what stories are allowed yeah. it's like it's better for all of us like i don't happen to be an abused lesbian or a, right. a southern gothic yeah. writer I, mean, right. I don't know what someone calls colors rights but i'm none of those things but those stories have enriched my life in the 3 weeks I've spent with them. It's yes. amazing.
0: Right. Yes. Oh, um, I love that. That's a good one.
2: And I, I'm hopeless on TV. We're like I said, we just started watching Shits Creek and I keep I don't know if you guys have this too, but like I'll hear about these like really edgy documentaries like the Jeffrey Epstein yeah. the, the yeah. next thing I, and I no, I can't, I can't do it. it I just—they're they're so evil. Yeah. I can do the Last Dance and like love, love, love those beautiful yeah. basketball men. I could watch that all day long. Yeah, I, I can't that. do cults and vulnerable women and sex trafficking. I know. I can't do it. I'm not. I'm not edgy nope. enough.
0: No, nope. nope. my nope. husband watches them nope. when I go to bed, and I can't do it. We're yeah. gonna have to add those to our list, Kate. Yeah. All right, we've got a growing list Me too. Always. Well, I'm so glad you joined us. I got to talk to you twice in one week. What a treat.
2: Yeah, this is you guys are doing such fun things and I'm really happy for all your success and certainly happy to be here. But I'm just know that I'm listening and I'm cheering and I love the complicated women that you are and that you celebrate. It's Yay. so good for the world. Yay. Thank you. Oh, Thank you so God. much
1: we want to let you know we've launched a Patreon page where supporters can receive perks like bonus episodes and exclusive content. Because Pop Fiction Women is
0: our passion project, a place where we give women space to show up and offer in-depth analysis in the ways we're used to hearing about male creators and their characters. We delve
1: into creativity and psychology with a dash of astrology. And we have so much fun doing it. Just two friends breaking down books, movies, and shows like Normal People, Fleabag, and I May Destroy You. Every single aspect of this
0: podcast, we do ourselves. From the preparation to the recording, from the editing to the social media promotion. So we're adding a Patreon platform because we want to keep making the show you love and hopefully expand it even further.
1: So please consider becoming one of our most complicated fans and contributing on Patreon.
0: To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash pop fiction women this has been pop fiction women with corinne and kate if you enjoyed this show please tell the complicated women in your life and the men who love them yes tell them to listen and then to follow on spotify or review and subscribe on apple podcasts and of course share on social media
1: Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at popfictionwomen or on Twitter at pop underscore women.
0: For more coverage of the women you love or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com
1: and keep it complicated.